I'll ask you, if you will, let's turn to the book of Acts. We're reminded of the very thing that Sarah Kate was speaking of this morning, which is making the name of Jesus known throughout all of the world and sharing the good news in our Jerusalem, our Judea, our Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so, if you will, let's turn to uh, the midway point of the book of Acts, chapter 15, We'll be looking at verses 1 through 12 with a sermon that I have entitled, Polluted by the World or Cleansed by Christ. Polluted by the World or Cleansed by Christ. And our adventure for 2024, as we go into this next year, we'll be diving into the book of Acts. It is by God's sovereignty that we are right in the dead center of this book. You ever heard anybody say, well, it just so happens. You ever hear somebody say that? It just so happens that we've found ourselves in the book of Acts, right in the midway, in the midway point. Well, I'm not so much of an advocate of, of um, coincidence. I think God lines everything up for His glory and for His honor. And so we are in the book right where we need to be. God has superintended this, so we'll pick up exactly in this midway point in chapter 15 of the book of Acts. But what I wanted to do very briefly is kind of chart back for just a few moments. Uh, so if you want to turn back to chapter 1, you can turn back to chapter 1 and follow along as I go. I'm going to be going at Superman speed, so I'm going to be going through an outline very quickly, very briefly, to get us where we need to be uh, today. Well, what we find so far is that God has raised up His church His church, at the day of Pentecost. He has empowered the apostles to preach and to teach and to go and to be committed to this great commission work. He has empowered the apostle Peter to preach a sermon where there have been 3,000 people that were saved under his preaching. We noticed in the end of Acts chapter 2 that there is this great gospel community that was forming and people were looking out for one another. They were preaching to the lost. They were tending to one another's needs. And gratefully this phrase, the Lord added to their numbers day by day, those who are being saved has been echoed through the book. And we are grateful even today that God has added to the numbers day by day. People are being healed under the stewardship of the apostles. The Lord has rescued Peter and John who are arrested, who are set free. Signs and wonders are being performed under the care of the apostles. And the Lord grew the ministry so vast and so large that they had to call servants or deacons to aid in serving the people. Then we find that Stephen is arrested. He is brought before the council. He is martyred or stoned to death, becoming the first martyr to die for the gospel proclamation of Jesus. Saul then pursues followers of Christ. He is met by the Lord Jesus on the Damascus road. He is saved and he is called into apostleship thereafter. Meanwhile, there is this intermission where Peter is sent by the Holy Spirit through the house of Cornelius that we see in chapter 10. He preaches to the house of Cornelius. They are saved and this is considered by many to be the Gentile Pentecost, where the Lord is beginning to call all people groups into, his, into Himself. We are reminded, as God tells Peter, that those who are created in His image and in His likeness do not call unclean or common. Do not call 
unclean or common. So God is calling all people groups into himself. God is moving his people up and out, and he is bringing into closer view this Acts 1-8 framework of the gospel that people are beginning to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, and then we find the first apostle who is martyred, the first apostle who is, who is arrested and then who is, who is martyred, and that would be James. The apostle James is martyred by the hands of Herod, but Peter is also arrested, but he is rescued. He is set free by an angel of the Lord, and they go to the uttermost parts. They go up and out, and they begin to share the gospel north south, east, and west. And Paul and Barnabas begins their preliminary missionary adventure and they travel through Paphos and Perga and Pamphylia. Here's a slide of where they've gone. Just a few places here. And you'll notice they'll go to the west and they'll share the gospel there uh, over towards, you see the boot of Italy there. They'll begin to share the good news and it will spread vastly throughout the known world. Once again, reminding us that God is bringing His promise to pass that they will be his witnesses and spread the good news towards the end of the earth. And God is bringing this to pass, even, even today. The Apostle Paul was stoned and left for dead at Lystra. He is brought back to health and begins preaching again to Antioch and Syria. And that brings us to our portion of Scripture today, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 15. Now the first portion of the book of Acts was bringing the Jewish brethren um, into faith and preaching the gospel, seeing our Jewish brothers come to faith in Christ. And the latter portion of the book will be very Gentile heavy and give a constant reminder of how the Lord is growing His kingdom. And I'm glad that God is still growing His kingdom. I'm glad that we have missionaries going out uh, in this Project 3000 where we're trying to reach 3,000 unreached people groups even today. What a great reminder that God is sending people out even today. People who have never heard the gospel. There are 3,000 some different people groups who have never heard the gospel. I'll ask you if you will, if you'll stand together, I want to read these first five verses together. And then we'll travel through the rest of the verses towards the end of the sermon today. Polluted by the world, or are we cleansed by Christ? Verse, verse 1 says, Some men went down and came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, saying, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to the brothers. And when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders. And they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. Lord, we ask you that you would add your blessing upon this reading. We would hear what you have to say to your church today, that your church would be edified, people would be saved, and we, and we would be strengthened. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now, there was a debate that was arising, and in this debate, God was beginning to save the Gentile. And this is where this all started. 
This debate started when God began to call to himself Gentile people. He was beginning to call every tribe, nation, tongue, and people group unto himself. And there was some discussion as to whether or not these Gentile people were actually believers or actually under, under the care of the Lord and ushered into the kingdom of, of God. There were some religious, spirited, self-righteous people who the Bible says were also believers in the way. They were self-righteous, spirited, who were advocating that these people who were also believers, these Gentile believers, must be circumcised to the ceremonial, the ceremonial law. So they were trying to plant one foot in the law and one foot in grace. In fact, I would say they would almost have a whole leg and foot in the law and maybe a toe in grace. And so they were advocating that these Gentiles must be circumcised. Peter stood and said, no. Peter, in fact, Peter never advocated that the Gentiles must be circumcised. The Lord Jesus himself taught this as an extension of the new covenant. What did Jesus say? Jesus said that this is my body, which is for the remission of sins. Therefore, it is the word of Christ that saves, not the work of hand. It is the blood of Christ that saves and not the work of our hands. And this is what I'm going to focus in on for the duration of our time together. Paul dealt with a council very similar to this in Galatians chapter 2. Therefore, as people of the new covenant, and by the way, we are people of the new covenant who have been washed by the blood of Christ, people under the new covenant, under Christ, we conclude that Legalism never saved anyone. Legalism never saved anyone. Even under the law of Moses, even under the Decalogue or the Ten Commandments, even under the civil law, the ceremonial law, it was God Himself that done the calling and God Himself that done the sealing. Even as people were called to adhere to the law of Moses, it was God Himself who still set them apart. The law of Moses never sanctified and never saved anyone. It is evident in the command later on in the Levitical law that they are to offer up sacrifices for a covering of their sins that would never eternally suffice. The remedy for sin and brokenness carries stiff consequence. It required a pure and unblemished sacrifice. Then. The law never saved anyone. And by adding to the law, it only muddied the waters. And in our case today, in verse 1, as these men came down from Judea, they were teaching, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved, verse 1. Now this group of men are probably Pharisees, maybe even who were converts to the way they had one foot in the law and then another toe or so in grace. They were trying to straddle the fence they came to challenge Paul and Barnabas on circumcision. This group of men held to a very strict viewing of the law that unless you were circumcised as they were under the old covenant, you were not part of God's kingdom and you were not part of God's covenant people that we find in Genesis 17 beginning at verse 10 through 27. In saying you cannot say, be saved unless you are circumcised can be likened unto many legalist claims today made by legalistic people. Now you might be asking, what does legalism look like? It would be adding something to the law of God that is not there. Stipulations upon salvation that is not 
prescribed or commanded in God's Word. Now you might say, well, what does this look like today for the modern church? Well, if you didn't ask that, I hope you did. I'm going to answer it anyway. Some people would say, unless you go to a certain church or a denomination that you are not saved. Okay, I had a conversation with a Church of Christ uh, person that was from what they call the Boston Movement of the Church of Christ. Churches of Christ, very strict, very legalistic. In fact, they would say that the playing of these inner instruments up here today, that we were all going to hell because we are playing instruments. Very strict in that regard. They would say, unless you went to their church, and I thought I was misquoting, but I was not misquoting, I was not misrepresenting, unless you went to their church in their geographic location under their certain pastor, that you were lost and you were going to hell. So how about all the other millions of people in the world today who go to other churches in remote parts of the world? How about them? And I, again, I thought I was misquoting. I thought I misunderstood him, but over and again, and you've got to come to this church here. Now let me say this, that God doesn't consecrate people. He doesn't set people apart to denominations. God doesn't save people to the Southern Baptist Convention. God doesn't save people to the Methodist Church. He doesn't save to the, the churches of God. God doesn't consecrate people to denominations or to associations. God consecrates people to himself by the blood of the Lamb. When we get to heaven, there's not going to be no Southern Baptist Convention. When we get to heaven, there's not going to be the Churches of Christ denomination or association. When we get to heaven, there's not going to be the Methodist denomination. We are consecrated, we are set apart to God himself by the blood of the Lamb. Another example would be you're not saved unless you are baptized. This is an attempt to move salvation out of the hands of Jesus and gives the humans something that they must do, which is legalistic. We stir the baptismal waters because Jesus said to stir them. He said, this is the ordinance that I left for you. This is a witness to the world that there is a work that is done by the sovereignty of God. It is His salvation and He has called you by His grace, not yours and not your works and nothing that we ever do will ever grant us salvation. Jesus said, as we are a witness, this is what we say to the world. This is what Jesus has done. And we are called to him, not by the works that we do, but by the work of Jesus. Another person might say, well, if you watch TV or you dress this way, then you're not a true follower of Jesus. You've got to pray ten times a day or you're not spiritual. You've got to throw your television out the window or you're not a Christ follower. If you wear this or you wear that, in deep theological terms, I may have used this terminology before. I'm going to explain this term that I'm going to share with you in a moment. It may not need explanation. This deep theological term comes to mind in light of this legalism. It is the word baloney. Again, our works do not save us. Christ does. So let's catch up to the narrative. Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension. They debated with them. Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go to Jerusalem and they sought counsel amongst the apostles and elders about this particular question. They debated for a good amount of time the question of circumcision, and so much so that they traveled to Jerusalem to seek counsel of the rest of the apostles. 
they knew on the way there, they knew on the way there that Jesus Christ is the end of law and justification and righteousness. He is the end of the line for righteousness. You will not find no better example, a higher example for righteousness than Jesus Christ. We will not be justified by anything else or anyone else, but by Christ himself. They knew that Christ was the end of the line for righteousness and for justification and for anyone that believed. And therefore, they opposed these Judaizing teachers. Why? Because it is important to correct a doctrine that these men might also advocate and teach above and beyond. They might spread this false doctrine. Again, adding the yoke of burden and bondage upon folks where Christ has alleviated this yoke. Now this should be helpful for us in combating false doctrine. And yes, we ought to. We ought to call out false teaching and false elements in the church. Uh, things that are a detriment to the gospel. So being sent on the way to the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles. And the way they did this in rehearsing was it brought great joy. They traveled 250 miles. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't even like driving in a car 250 miles, much less traveling, and then on the way, rejoicing on the way to Jerusalem, 250 miles, rejoicing, and on the way, they passed through churches, and they were testifying to the Christ followers there, all that the Lord was doing amongst the Gentiles. What a wonderful reminder that this is as we go in this life, and wherever we go, and whatever we do, it is an important it is an important precedence to examine and engage the culture right where we are at and share what Jesus is doing and share how God is growing His church and how small groups are growing and how people in those small groups are growing in their faith. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and they declared again all that God had done. They rehearsed what God had done, but some believers... That's important. Some believers belong to the party of the Pharisees, rose up and said, well, it's necessary that you need to be uh, circumcised in order to be saved. It's necessary to circumcise them, the Gentiles, in order to keep the Mosaic law. Isn't that what Jesus did when he died on the cross? He completed the law. It was completely perfect through him. So here are the legalists. Jesus came to fulfill the law, not to abolish it. And this is included in the act of circumcision. It did not carry over. As long as there are people in the church who think that they need to do something to earn God's favor, there will always be people who think you need to go above and beyond what God has prescribed in His Word. This is why it is so important for a church to have established its doctrine. Its, those things are important. It's teaching... Listen very carefully. Everyone in here should be able to lead somebody to Jesus. Everybody in this room who calls on the name of Christ, who is a believer in Jesus, who have been saved, sanctified, and one day be glorified, everyone in here today who is in Jesus, you ought to be able to share your faith and you ought to be able to lead someone to Christ. I remember growing up in a more legalistic church. Now, these are people who love the Lord. They love Jesus. They did. But they would advocate that the Christian needs to do certain things to please God. And that's legalism. 
I remember Sunday after Sunday and Wednesday after Wednesday, these people who I looked up to and loved Jesus, they would stand to give testimony, and they would say things like, if I can only make heaven my home. Even further, they would say, if I can only be good enough to make it to heaven. Now, well, I got news for you. You're not good enough. Friends, if our ticket to heaven is our good works and our deeds, we will never make it. If it was up to me to keep my salvation, I would have lost it a long time ago. And not, not only that, if, if going to heaven is based on how I dress or the moralistic things that I do or don't do, I'll never make it. First, this might be a shocker to you, okay? Are you ready? Heaven is not the goal for the Christian. Heaven is not the goal for the Christian. Jesus is. And a regenerate follower of Jesus will not have to look over their shoulder to see if they are living a life that is good enough. Because the Lord will be living through you. Again, I cannot stress with enough emphasis the importance of the spiritual disciplines of our faith, praying and reading God's Word and gathering together, getting closer to Jesus, I submit to you, will detour one from living a life that is contrary to the will of God. We will not have to add stipulations upon grace to try to make God shine His favor upon us. See, people will try to add things to God's commands, just like the Pharisees did here. But it is the person and work of Christ alone that declares a person of God to be, to be pure in Him and saved. 1 Peter 1.18, Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways, inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb, without blemish or without spot. Again, legalism never saved anyone. But just as legalism never saved anyone, it is Christ Jesus who removed that yoke of bondage. It is Christ that removed that, that yoke. So this act of legalism, adding upon the law to the grace of God, is, is putting the burden back upon the people of, of God. The apostles and elders, they gathered together to kind of consider this matter and talk it over. And after there was much debate, and after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and he said, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice amongst you that my mouth by the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. Now this happened in the house of Cornelius. And as with any biblical question or what we call a doctrinal nuance, there must be a seeking of discernment. If you have questions about God's Word, you get in God's Word first, and as iron sharpens iron, we meet together. And we decide and we, we talk about it. We open up God's Word. We dissect God's Word. We seek discernment. And so the apostles, they gathered to discern the matter further. These are the early days when they began to start nailing down orthodox or right worship for the early church. And after they debated amongst himself, Peter rose up as an apostle to give judgment in this case. He pleads his case of how he was sent to the house of Cornelius to preach. He began to preach and the Gentile Pentecost occurred in Acts chapter 10. Verse 8 says, And God, knowing the heart, he bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did us. 
And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their heart by faith. Now here is where Peter is going with this argument. This is where Peter is going. Because if God wanted the Gentiles to be saved by circumcision, he would have advocated this through the Apostle Peter. He would have directed this in the Apostle Peter's preaching, but he did not. He would have directed this in his preaching. Same thing with baptism. His preaching would have included this. The Apostle Peter's preaching would have included this. You must do this to inherit eternal life, but it is absent. Even in Acts 2 and verse 38, this is a response to what has already happened. For the Jew, the act of circumcision was the mark that they had been set apart, made pure, and the mark marking belonged to God. But it was different with the Gentiles here. For Cornelius, God gave Peter the vision that true purity and sanctification comes not by the external mark of circumcision, but by inner faith in Christ. It is not by the externals. It is by inner faith. Not by the works of hands or ceremonies that they are saved, but by the blood of Christ. Now, therefore, he says, why are you putting God to test by placing the yoke back on the disciples' neck, and neither our Father nor we could bear it. You can't keep the law. You can't keep the commandments of God 100%. There's no way. But we believe that we were saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. No one who existed has kept the law of God 100%, except for who? Jesus. Which is the purpose of His coming. And if Jesus totally completed the law and fulfilled the law in Himself, His sacrifice means that He died for us and for God's glory. Jesus Christ took the yoke of law off of the elect, but now these religious leaders are trying to put it back on them by adding to the law. We are not bound by the law, but we are bound to Christ. And theologians might call this Christian liberty. Christian liberty. This is the law that we have, the liberty we have in Christ. And if we truly believe that we are free in Christ, then we will live it out in such a way that we will not parade our Christian liberty either. Charles Spurgeon was noted of saying that in the evening he would smoke a cigar for the glory of God. If we like smoking a cigar to the glory of God, we do not flaunt that around others so they might be offended. It is not prescribed in Scripture that smoking a cigar is sinful, and so we can exercise to some degree things that are not prescribed in Scripture as our liberty to do so or engage in those things. But if it becomes a stumbling block to others, we are to abstain. So if I was to smoke a cigar around you and you are totally against it, hey, You might think that it's sin. I'm not going to do that to offend you. We used to go to a church that was, women had to wear a dress and men had to dress up and had their hair combed a certain way. The sprigs of their hair had to be combed a certain way. And there's no way that we would go into that church in opposition of what they had prescribed as to offend them. Here are a few exercises or principles for Christian liberty. And I'm going to go through these very very briefly. Number one, Christian liberty is never to be flaunted. Whatever you believe about these things, keep between you and yourself. If I want to have a cigar at the end of the day, that's between me and God and not you. 
If the kingdom consists for you of food and drink and the like, then you have missed the point of the gospel. You have missed the point of freedom of the spirit that we have in Christ. Likewise, if the point of your conversion is circumcision or any other ceremonial vice, then you have lost the point and the scope of the gospel. Principle two, Christian liberty does not mean that you are not to welcome. It doesn't mean that you do not invite into your fellowship only those who have figured it out. Okay, We don't see eye to eye. We don't see everything perfectly. And just because we don't see eye to eye on trivial things does not mean we disassociate with folks unless it is rank heresy. God has welcomed them in Christ as they are, and so should we. And God does the sanctifying. God does the setting apart. God does the changing. How sad it is for us to hear when there is another follower of Christ brought up in a conversation, and somebody overhears that conversation and immediately jumps on them in criticism. They immediately hear that gossip, and they begin to slander how sad that is. That is not a mark of discernment. That is a spirit, that is a judgmental spirit, a pharisaical spirit. It seems like sometimes we are more in tune with gossip than we are the gospel. Principle number three, Christian liberty ought never to be used in such a way that it becomes a stumbling block to other followers of Christ. We find this in Romans 14 and verse 13. We are given liberty in Christ in order to be servants of others, not in order to indulge our own preferences. Number four, Christian liberty requires grasping the principle that we produce true biblical balance. We ought not to please ourselves, for even Christ did not please himself. Romans 15 verses 1 through 3. And in the words of Martin Luther, a Christian man is more free Uh, is the most free Lord of all and subject to none. A Christian man is the most dutiful servant of all and subject to everyone. As it was with the master, so it is with the servant. So Christ removed the yoke of bondage of the law and don't put it back on by adding stipulations that are not in Scripture and are not prescribed in God's Word. In Acts 15, 11, again it says, but we believe that we have been saved through grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. Thirdly, the act upon the things that demonstrate an inward change to keep pure. The Bible says, and they all fell silent, and they listened to Paul and Barnabas, and they relayed the signs and wonders that God had done through and amongst the Gentiles. So here again is this word rehearsed. This word rehearsed, they related what signs God was doing. They went through the many acts that they had beheld, namely that God was bringing the Gentiles into the fold and saving them, and and how the message of the gospel was spreading north, south, east, and west. This was truly an amazing time uh, to be alive. God is doing that exact same work today in the world. He's sending people to Ecuador, to Belize, to the uttermost parts. He's still doing that work today. So let's finish up the text. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon had related how God first visited the Gentiles to take for them a people for his name. And with this word of the prophets agreed, just as it is written, After this I will return. 
and will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. And I will rebuild its ruin and I will restore it. That the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord. Listen. And all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things. And they made them known from old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from things that have been strangled by blood. And for, for from ancient generations, Moses had had in every city those who proclaimed him. For he has read these words every Sabbath in the synagogue. In short, instead of participating in a ceremony that was only intended to demonstrate the Jewish people as separate from the nation and God's people, abstain from the sins that lead to idol worship, lead to those things that can place a stumbling block in front of others. The restrictions that are named here by James after the moral law, the moral code, apply to all idolatry, fornication, and murder. Idolatry, fornication, and murder were outstanding sins amongst pagan and those involved in paganism then, and it is the same now. We are to, to sustain from idolatry, fornication, and murder. Now see, these religious self-righteous are willing to give gifts and offer the work of their hands in order to find merit and find favor from God. And may I say this, if you're here this morning and you are banking your salvation on some work that you do, a big check that you write, working in your community, and you, have, you don't know Christ, can I say this? That is a snare used by the devil. This is a snare that Satan uses to keep people from surrendering their life to God. If I can write a check big enough that might somehow in some way make God be pleased with me, then I don't have to submit my life to His authority. That is a snare used by the devil to keep you from surrendering to the Lord Jesus. Many who are unwilling to trust their life to God, to be Lord of their life, many times will give generous works to God's work, but the motives are selfish. Many people have stood up in sanctuaries across the world who have said, I have write, wrote this big check today. I have given this check today. I've stood up in this sanctuary to give money for everyone to see as if God will look at the, the size of that check and forgive them of their sins. And they are a sinner just putting money in the offering plate. As if God will forgive them on the amount of money that they have in their bank and how much they give. Many have broken their backs working amongst the community so God might see their good works and save them. God does not see your good works as a merit of salvation. And the sad reality is that many people will stand before the Lord in the end of all the age. They will stand there with that blank check in their hand that they have wrote. They will stand there with that carbon copy in their hand or the carbon copies. They will stand there with calluses on their hands, with the many hours that they have worked in the community, plowing, picking, prodding, whatever it is they might have done. 
The shoes might have been worn up by walking around the community doing good things for other people. And they will stand there with all the work of their hands and the Lord Jesus will look at them and say, Depart from me, I never knew you. Legalism never saved anyone. Adding stipulations to, the, to grace never saved anyone. 